It is Mackling and McGarry, Braden Uosco in for producer Jeff Fortier today and Master Control. Fortier's on uh, the day shift in for uh, producer Kyle Milroy. So, yeah, some change of foot this morning, but that's okay. And, uh, of course, as we just heard from Sarah, it's Groundhog Day. Kind of fun that it falls on a Friday. That helps a little bit, I think. I mean, you could argue a Wednesday might break up the week, but this is it's a little bit of fun, a little bit of speculation, a little bit of horrible predictions from these little critters. Sarah was telling me Punxsutawney Phil's uh, proficiency rate is something like 40%. He's like wrong 61% of the time. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's 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 what I heard. Oh, from that's Sarah great. When she was sharing it with me in the newsroom today. So, like, if you're a baseball player, three ninety or four hundred is legendary. But eh, when you're, you know, supposed to be the master prognosticator of what's to come in terms of winter, and you're only batting forty percent, that's not great. No. No, that's not. Yeah, and there it is. A federal agency took a look at his record last year and put his accuracy at rate at about 40%. <laughs> he predicts more winter far more often than he sees in early spring. And uh yeah, but they they, they, they it is the the biggest it is the big one in Gobbler's Knob and uh, you may recall this. This is pitiful. A thousand people freezing their butts off waiting to worship a rat. A rat. <laughs> uh, so I'm sure you hear some more Groundhog Day movie audio. And uh, whenever we get a prediction that come in, we will head to the 680 CJOB Groundhog Breaking News Alert Desk. And it'll probably have a different name every what, single time. What does it sound like? <laughs> no. I can't remember what Loren and I did last year. I think you were off last year. I might have been. On Groundhog Day. And I should be off this year then. Like if it's a recurring thing, like in the movie, I should be off. <laughs> off. Off. Yeah. Okay, never mind. All That's right. not going to happen. No. It's too late now. I'm here. I might as well stick around. So at 8.05, we're going to get an update on that from Clay Young. He's with Jacques Bourgeois at Oak Marsh this morning, and we will find out if Manitoba Merv, Manitoba Merv saw his shadow. Also, today we continue the 680 CJOB Health Series, and we just sort of touched on this with Frosty Face Manitoba on Tuesday. But And if memory, correct me if I'm wrong, Greg, but I'm pretty sure he said he doesn't do it necessarily for the health benefits. He just... He's a winter enthusiast and he likes to take a cold, he likes to jump in the cold water. I think he said it started when they would go to the lake and they had no running water. Yeah. And so the only way you could wash your hair and have a bath, quote unquote, would be to jump in the lake. And he kind of thought to himself, eh, jump in there in the spring when it's basically on the verge of becoming ice. In the fall, it's the same. Water can only get so cold. So he thought, yeah, let's cut a hole in the ice and I'll jump in and give it a go. So, yeah, something that he's done. He says it's basically the same whether there's 12 inches of ice on the lake or not. Yeah, so at uh, 7.05, as we conclude this 680 CJOB Health Series, which has been happening every Monday, Wednesday, Friday for the last couple of weeks, we'll hear from CKNW Scott Schantz, who has taken a closer look at the cold water plunge to find out if... It is a legitimate health practice, cold plunging, or does it fall into the realm of pseudoscience? So that's coming up at 7.05. Witchcraft, that word doesn't come up at all in Scott's 
Um, no, well, nothing in the, in the opening text here. I don't see witchcraft. I don't see sorcery. But perhaps he's got it in his in the body of his story. Yeah, so. I listened to it. There's no 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 mention of witchcraft. So I just there's this guy in Winnipeg. His name is um, Jordan Ferrone, and he did an ice plunge 365 days in a row. And this guy is from Winnipeg. He's got a great Detroit Lions toque. But he's done this, he did it every day for a year, and he's got a million followers on Instagram and two million followers on TikTok. Really? Yeah. And now he's written a book about about his experience. Really, really cool. Check him out. Uh, you can find him on Instagram, jordan.ferone, F-E-R-R-O-N-E. Well, we've got time to play that audio here if you want, Mackling. I think uh, I saw right. you pulled something. Yeah, sure. Press play. Good morning, guys. It's day 365 of taking an ice bath every single day. And to celebrate, we're keeping it simple. I'm not going to be doing the moonwalk. As he does the moonwalk. I'm not going to be popping champagne bottles. And there's absolutely no way I'm going to light off fireworks just because we hit this milestone. It's just going to be me, you, and this ice bath. And we're going to finish this thing exactly how we started it. It's minus six degrees Celsius out here this morning. The water temperature is a balmy one degree Celsius. We're gonna do 365 seconds in the ice bath this morning. And like always, my friends, it's gonna be a good day. So that was his 365th post. And he goes on to talk about, it's about a four minute post and he talks about why he embarked on this journey and how healthy it has been for him, why he's done it. And the fact that he's uh, journaled and chronicled this journey, this one year journey, and has turned it into a, a book and into an audio book. So good for Jordan. Yeah. Pretty cool stuff. That is cool. So we'll learn more on. Or is it cold stuff? Get Sorry. out of here. Sorry, Loren. Loren's not here. Boo, I say boo hiss. <laughs> I had to I had to Loren it up a little bit. There. We're going to do more on the cold plunge coming up at 705 as we continue the 680 CJOB health series. It is Mackling and McGarry. I've just been handed our first update from the 680 CJOB Groundhog Breaking News Alert Center. Celebrity Groundhog Shubanakity Sam. Yes. Slowly waddled out of her tiny barn this morning. Okay. And under a gray Nova Scotia sky, mm-hmm. reportedly could not see her shadow. <gasps> what does that mean, Brett McGarry? According to centuries-old folklore, that's good news oh. for Canadians tired of wintry weather. The tradition holds if a groundhog does not see its shadow on Groundhog Day, spring-like weather will soon arrive. All right. Hooray, huzzah. So that's one positive update. You're watching the live stream from uh, Gobbler's Knob to wait to, because they're waiting for Punxsutawney Phil. I think he did his thing here. Uh, uh, This is a full blown concert event. Like they've been doing, they did entertainment starting at 6 a.m. this morning, and they've gathered everyone around and. I don't think it's good news from Pennsylvania, but let me confirm that before I say it out loud. Really? Yeah. Um, well, let's just see here. What? 
Uh, seven, let's, let's see. Groundhog Day will be celebrated at 7.15 a.m. Does that mean 7.15 Eastern? Eastern, yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, at sunrise, which is around 7.28. Let's see. Oh, you know what? That's exactly what happened the last time. I got close to the announcement, and then I clicked on something in our computer, and it restarted the whole video. So <laughs> live radio, friends, live radio. I tried to take you right there, uh, but uh, unfortunately did not. Oh, here we go. It's official. Spring is right around the cor- uh, corner. Official is loosely termed. Punxsutawney Phil did not see his shadow in front of thousands of spectators Friday morning at Gobbler's Knob in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, part of the annual groundhog tradition celebrated in the U.S. and Canada. So that means, according to legend, we're in for an early spring. All right. So we'll two keep for you- two on that front. We will keep you up to date from the 680 CJOB Groundhog Action Alert uh, News Desk Bonkers Center. I'm just, just, the name's going to change every single time. But right now, let's talk about Manitoba's education minister, who says the province will increase operating funds to public schools province-wide. Globenstegen Rasha has more on the announcement and where parents say the money should go. As a parent of two boys, Brent Johnson is very involved in the school community. He appreciates the dedicated teachers and staff, but sees areas for improvement. Post-pandemic, there's so many needs that aren't being addressed. There just aren't the resources to address the, um, you know, the recovery that students need and social aspects that they missed out on. Johnson is hoping the Manitoba government's 3.4% funding increase for next school year will help address these concerns. And fellow parent Lori Isber agrees, saying any increase in the budget is useful. There's fundraising and there's a pack that's constantly trying to raise money for the school. And I'm always a bit confused by that. Like, it, why does the school have to raise money? It should, we pay our taxes. What's important to the school should be funded through the government. Both parents are pleased to hear $104 million is being added to the school education budget next fall. That announcement being made Thursday by Education Minister Nello Altamar. We're eyeing uh, certainly equalization. As I said in my uh, remarks, uh, I said that the assessment bases are not evenly distributed throughout the province. We want to do a better job of ensuring every kid gets the same experience at school, regardless of where they live in Manitoba. The government also investing $3 million to lower early grade class sizes, a move welcomed by the Manitoba Teacher Society and its president, Nathan Martindale. And as a parent and a teacher, I know that that's where those kids need more one-on-one attention, and this will work to help uh, meet that goal. But Thursday's funding announcement is being met with criticism from the opposition. Interim PC leader Wayne Owasco calling it lackluster and disappointing. This year we're looking at Uh, basically 10 uh, school divisions receiving less than 1% of an increase. But even with a 1% budget increase in some school divisions, parents remain optimistic, hoping to see smaller class sizes and more student supports. Well, today's announcement was encouraging in a number of different ways. Tegan Rasha, Global News. I know that class size conversation was one that the NDP government held uh, very, very high at their list of priorities. In fact, they mandated smaller class sizes in kindergarten through grade three. That mandate went away. Looks as though that mandate is coming back. I don't know about you, Brett, but uh, I was lucky enough to be in a kind of a smaller classroom back in my elementary school days. And I got a lot of time with teachers in order to, to help me with the things that I needed help with. 
I haven't done the research on the research that says smaller class sizes for elementary school age students is better, but it'd be difficult to imagine that it wouldn't be better than larger class sizes. How small was the class? I'm trying to remember. I think we were maybe around 21, 22, something like that. Yeah, Yeah. that was about us. Yeah, we were in a combined class. So we had two classrooms and we were two combined classrooms in one great big space that were both grades two and grades three. Oh, like says so you had two separate classes going on, like in one one corner was this great big giant classroom. It was a double sized classroom. Yeah, and we had a common area that we would come together for for different stuff. So I was in that class consecutive years. I was in grade two, grade three, grade three, grade two with younger kids. So it was, oh. it, it was a neat experience. Okay, yeah the, uh, the 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 smaller class sizes I think does help. Uh, there are some I'm sure who might thrive, like particularly when you get up to university. But I remember. Um, we were talking, the teacher was just going around the room saying, we're, you know, for post-secondary, where would you like to go? And people were saying UW, RRC or whatever. And I said the U of M and she, like, I remember Madame Lamoura pausing and saying, I think you'd do better at the U of W because they have smaller classes. And I think she was right because I went to the U of M and not that I received, not that I, I had a poor experience, but some of those, like one of my classes, I was one of 300. Yeah. I think my first psych class was in a theater that held 300 people. And if you had a snooze, nobody cared. That was the class. That was the class. It was, it was psychology. I think it was in the Fletcher argue building. You know, Robert Altemeyer. <laughs> That's that was your prof. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I felt anonymous and I don't think, and I think I, that's what I was craving. And as it turns out, it's not what I needed. I needed to be, I needed to be part of a class as opposed to, uh, an audience. That makes sense. So I'm not criticizing it. No. I just, my, my, it's funny how my teacher in, I think grade 11 kind of instinctively knew yeah, yeah. that I would benefit from a smaller class. Well, as I've mentioned before, my twin boys go to different high schools and that was one of the bigger considerations for the one that goes to the high school further afield, geographically speaking, was that it's a much smaller school. He'd been in a smaller school and felt that he would be better off in a, in an environment where the class sizes weren't gigantic and it's really paid off for him. It is Mackling and McGarry. After 8 o'clock, we'll get an update from Manitoba Merv, Manitoba's groundhog, on what the prediction is for spring. We've already heard that Shubenacadie Sam in Nova Scotia predicting early spring. Punxsutawney Phil in Pennsylvania predicting an early spring. Oh, thank God. But uh, Manitoba Merv is a puppet. Why do you say it like that, Brett? <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't, like, why the inflection in your voice? <laughs> like, we can't get an animal? Like, an actual animal? got to use a puppet? Anyway. You know, it really cheapens Groundhog Day. <laughs> <laughs> you said that with a straight face, Cam. <laughs> I love Manitoba Merv. I take that back. Okay. I love him. <laughs> so, uh, but that got us thinking, who's your favorite puppet? All-time favorite puppet. 
204-780-6868. I love this topic. This is the best topic you guys have had, by the way. This is the best one. For a chance. We came up with it seven seconds ago. Yeah. Yeah, I sent out a note to the to the other panelists. Like, if you got any ideas, feel free to share. Because this is where we're at. We're at favorite puppet. <laughs> so we've got tickets up for grabs for the Great Outdoors Comedy Festival, July 19th, featuring Tom Segura. But I think, you know, if when you, if you really start thinking about this, particularly for some of the stuff you may have enjoyed in childhood, there are a lot of these puppets who might really mean a lot to you. So uh, let's go around the horn here. Cam, I see you had a couple of uh, selections. Well, I had a backup just in case mine was, but this is my pick. For my ally is the Force, and the powerful ally it is. Life creates it, makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us and binds us. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. You must feel the force around you. Here, between you, me, the tree, the rock, everywhere. Yeah, John Williams is an absolute genius with his score behind... uh, uh, Frank Oz doing the voice of Yoda, but that was that was a real easy pick for me. I thought we were just gonna listen to the entire film there for a moment. <laughs> well, I, can't, I thought I was gonna. I'll give you everybody thirty seconds of Yoda. Who's the backup? Oh, the backup was this. I'll I'll just play this, and, and I I looked desperately to find a clip, and this was the best I could do. Well, please get down on the ground. World <laughs> police, Team America, World Police. Oh the boy, the best ever puppet movie. That's the only line I think I could get from that entire film. But Without I love bleeping it. I love that movie. <laughs> Not even bleep. I couldn't run it. That's a bleep the whole thing. It just would be beep. <laughs> who is that? Oh, I know who it is. A team America. Oh, boy. Sarah McCarthy, what about you? Mine is a good old Sesame Street character. I think, uh, I just think of growing up watching PBS Kids and uh, really resonating with uh, the philosophy that cookies are important. Yes. And uh, I think everybody also knows this song. Uh, what starts with the letter C? Cookie starts with C. Let's think of other things that starts with C. Uh, ah, who cares about other things? C <laughs> is for cookie. That's what he meant for me. So C yes, he came to mind right away. I had a blanket with like the Cookie Monster on it all over, and yeah, just love him. Big blue guy. We, we all need more friends like Cookie Monster yes. that just say it how it is. Yes. Yeah. C is also for Cam. Cameron, when I was a oh, kid. Oh, forget those other things. Yeah. He's also for Cameron. Yeah, you didn't hear Cookie Monster yeah. say forget all those other things. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think that I've got a clip that I like of the. We want cookie. <laughs> <laughs> they just uh, he obliterated those things. Yeah. He really did. <laughs> Didn't like, even enjoy more them. More cookie ended up on the ground than ended <laughs> yeah. up in his stomach. He wasn't very efficient at uh, consuming mm-hmm. the cookies. No, he wasn't. No. He was just crazy for him. Greg, what about you? Well, I'm going to go way back in the time machine and uh, to a time, a local show, Uncle Bob, Archie Wood, and his friends, Archie Wood, Tammy Wood, Robbie the Robot, Petite, the dog, and then there was, of course... Hi there, Marvin Mouse here, old happy. Old- Marvin the Mouse. Mm-hmm. That was locally produced. Uncle Bob, the Uncle Bob show was on at, uh, I think, 12 noon on CKY. Okay. 
And we had Huckleberry Hound and uh, Snagglepuss and the gang after that. And then on Saturdays, after a while, I think Uncle Bob had a show uh, named Funky Town that was on Saturday mornings. Really? Yeah. So Fun- did, did he play the Funky Town song? I don't know. Can't remember. Maybe. Did the show predate the song? I can't remember when the original came out. So lip sync that was about yeah late seventies. That was like the major roller skating era of my life. Yeah, they probably came around the same time. Okay, yep, that's interesting. Uncle Bob and his friends. Forte, what or Brayden? <laughs> sorry, habit. Brayden, you ask. What about you? Yeah, at first I wasn't sure to pick, but I I went with this. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think he threw like a nice wrinkle into Sesame Street. So mm-hmm. I always just thought, oh, cool character. Top two character. He had yeah. a real nice place yeah. under there, too. <laughs> That's right. Did we ever actually see into his home? I yeah, feel we like, did. Yeah, we did. <laughs> it, was, right? it was spacious. It had a lot of space. Yeah, I feel like we did see it eventually. Oh, wow. Yeah. Don't remember that. I was always hmm. curious about what what his place looked like down there. Multi-level setup. It was kind of like Kramer with the with the levels. <laughs> yes, good set of levels. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, for me, I you know, it's funny. I, I actually, whenever I think of puppets, the first thing I think of is not a pleasant experience. It was one of the worst experiences oh. of my scholastic life because we, uh, for this video project in second year at Creative Communications, there was a group of four. They got we got you know sectioned off into groups, and I was with three other guys, and we had to shoot this movie. So we had to shoot, map out, shoot, and edit a little short film, and it was only like three minutes long or four minutes long, but it took forever. And we decided to use puppets, and uh, I brought this like puppet moose that I had from home, and I can't remember what the other thing was, but we had the two of them fight on camera, and it just looked ridiculous. But it, like we were too far into the process. To, to like hit the reset button because we'd already spent so much time, like hours and hours of time on this project. And uh, so we, we did the we did the best we could with it, but oh, my instructors were not happy. They were not <laughs> pleased with us. It was not a quality product? Well, because one of the examples of short films they showed us did involve puppets, and it was very well done. Ours was not. <laughs> you might have been okay if there wasn't another puppet project to compare yeah. it to. You might have been safe. Yeah, it was terrible. It was just <laughs> terrible. And it, <laughs> so that's what I think. The first thing I think of when I think of puppets. And then second would be Yoda. So at 204-780-6868, your favorite puppets. Be they a puppet, be they a Muppet for a chance to win. Tickets for the Great Outdoors Comedy Festival, July 19th, featuring Tom Segura. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. It is Mackling and McGarry at 7.35. We'll put on our couch potatoes hats, tell you what's new at the movies, and what's new on your TV this weekend. We've got the CJOB Health Series continuing in a moment, but before that, Greg, we're asking you, who's your favorite puppet? Oh my gosh, the avalanche of text messages. I'm just pulling this one out because it represents a lot of my youth. Gary says, puppets as a child of the 70s, there were so many options. Kermit, Ms. Piggy, Animal, and others. But my first thought was Ernie Coombs with Casey and Finnegan. Where would we be now without Mr. Dressup? Keep those coming for a chance to win tickets for the Great Outdoors Comedy Festival, July 19th, featuring Tom Segura. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. Now, cold plunging. 
has become all the rage lady. That's what we're talking about today as we conclude the 680 CJOB Health Series. Cold plunging. Now, with everyone and anyone adopting the habit of dunking themselves in ice cold water in hopes of reaping some purported health benefits. But what do the experts say? Well, is cold plunging a legitimate health practice or... Like so many trends before it, does it fall into the realm of pseudoscience where the benefits remain unproven and anecdotal? CKNW Scott Shantz takes a closer look. We've all heard about it, we've all thought about it or considered it, but how many of us have actually had the skin to do it? We're talking about cold plunging, gearing down and submerging oneself in ice cold water. It's become all the rage with social media influencers, celebrities, fitness coaches, and pretty much everyone else jumping in on the trend in the hopes of reaping some of the purported benefits, which may include decreased inflammation, improved immunity, and better mood and sleep. There are, however, some potential downsides as well, like hypothermia, heart failure, and drowning. But, you know, everyone's doing it, right? Holistic medicine practitioners and naturopaths have also been recommending it for years. But what do the actual experts say? Well, there's a wide variance of opinion amongst medical professionals about the benefits and drawbacks of cold plunging. Here's Stephen Chung, professor of kinesiology at Brock University. We do know that athletes use cold baths for recovery after hard training. We know that there are things that happen to the body, such as you get a big adrenaline rush your heart rate goes up, your breathing rate goes up. You know, that's your body's response to shock. It's your nervous system going into hyperdrive, and that, again, explains the heart rate, explains the rapid breathing. There's also a big arousal. You know, that adrenaline is coursing throughout your body. So some of the psychological benefits of it, people feel really awake, alive, alert afterwards, and that's the adrenaline rushing through your body. And a lot of this is from athletes. Now people are saying, oh, if it works for athletes, this is great for everyone. Well, not so fast because, you know, you're not really in there long enough, most of us, to really have that great, huge increase in metabolism. So just being in cold water for about three minutes or so isn't going to drive your metabolism up. It's not going to be a magic weight loss cure. People say, again, it reduces inflammation. Look at what's happening with athletes. Again, most of us on our daily living, we're not necessarily having that much inflammation as a rugby player who's just been playing a game. You know, most of us in our daily living isn't at that same level as an elite athlete. Okay, so it's not a silver bullet, and it sounds like there's some discrepancy regarding how well it works. But... If that's the case, why have so many people taken to it? I also discovered that cold plunging is nothing new. Here's Dr. John Holash from the University of Calgary. It has its traditions, oh, probably about 2,500 years ago we start to see it. To improve mood, uh, make people feel more awake, more alive, uh, increase their vigor, get them out of depressions. So we see that a long time ago. If we look, we see almost this kind of ritual in every single religion or uh, indigenous people's traditions going all the way back. Okay, but wouldn't the best way to understand if it works or not be to actually run some tests? You know, like 
do some science? Here's Dr. Holash again. Yeah, there's, we've actually done quite a bit of science on this. And we see that when people expose themselves to cold water or cold environments, that cold shock, we see changes in circulating uh, hormones that basically kind of predict what people are feeling. We see a real big boost in uh, noradrenaline and also the other magic uh, hormone there. We see a, a large increase in dopamine. And unlike other things that we do that give us an increase in those things, the increases that we see are really longly sustained. So we can see an increase in dopamine for four to five hours after cold plunge. Okay, well, that all sounds great, but then why are some people still unconvinced of the benefits? The answer there is something that you could aptly sum up as user error. Everybody does it slightly different, and there's almost endless degrees of freedom to which you can change it. Temperature of the water, the size of the person that's getting in the water, their genetic background, their training status, their overall health, their nutrition, <laughs> etc., etc. They'll all kind of change those, those values a little bit. So it sounds like it's kind of one of those to each their own things. But before we go diving in... Is anyone asking if there's any risks involved in all of this? Here's Dr. Chung again. There are some people who should not be trying cold plunges, people with heart conditions. If you have high blood pressure, if you know you have some of these issues, then you should definitely not. Okay, so there are some concerns and some people who it's clearly not right for, but that's not stopping the majority. Just listen to this crowd all taking the plunge into the six-degree water at English Bay for Vancouver's annual New Year's Day polar bear swim. Okay, so a lot of people are loving it, but it's clearly not for everyone. I'll let you make your own decision. In the meantime, you can find me on the beach. For the Health Series, I'm Scott Schantz. From CKNW, our affiliate in Vancouver. Six degrees, even that doesn't sound great. Oh, that polar bear swim. I, I've been in Vancouver on New Year's Day. I can't believe how many people jump into English Bay on uh, on what's often the coldest day of the year or close to it. Yeah. Thank you. No. Do they show up in bathing suits or do yeah. they just jump into their outfits? Or? Oh, yeah, bathing suits and all cr- sorts of crazy outfits. The coldest water I was ever in was up in northern Manitoba, Rock or Rocky Lake. It was May long weekend and it was barely above freezing. I put shampoo in my hair. Regretted it immediately because that meant I had to rinse it out. Oh, no. Yeah, not good. Mackling and McGarry, we have a bit of a challenge here from Cheryl, listener Cheryl, because we're asking you this morning, who's your favorite puppet? (coughs) Could be a puppet, could be a Muppet, whatever. Uh, Cheryl says, I just woke up. You guys have me laughing. My favorite puppet is Elmo. And here comes the challenge. Bonus points if you can do this in his voice. Do you do an Elmo? No, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever tried. Let me try. I haven't done it for a while. I'm doing it cold here. Okay. Elmo got new shoes. That's pretty good. Not bad. I got to at least try. I, just, I don't know that I can. You can do it. I think you can do it. Elmo. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, in the, you're right in the right. Yeah, you're right in the right key, I think. Elmo got new shoes. That's pretty good, man. 
That's a winner there. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so I, I'm impressed with the, with both of us on that. I, I didn't think I'd be able to get there. But uh, Cheryl, there you go, and Cheryl adds Tickle Me Elmo. And, of course, this week we had the, uh, the, I mean, the headline at globalnews.ca, Elmo accidentally triggers an avalanche of dread with one innocent question. Posting on X, Elmo's just checking in. How's everybody doing? Well, everybody was very... Lots of people were quite honest with Elmo. And so it's actually sparked a huge conversation about mental health, in particular in the United States. And Elmo was doing personal appearances, if that makes sense. He was on a bunch of the morning talk shows over the last several days. So Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It really sparked a genuine conversation about how uh, many of us are feeling right now. So good on Elmo. And uh, Elmo followed up with a post saying, wow, Elmo is glad he asked. Elmo learned that it is important to ask a friend how they are Mm -hmm. doing. Elmo will check in again soon, friends. Elmo loves you. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Just, (laughs) you know, we we sort of joked around with each other when we picked this topic. But as I sit here and look at this picture of Elmo uh, just smiling, there's there really is something in there about, you know, the puppets that we love. And then you brought, uh, did, did somebody point out this one from Winnipeg? You know what? It just came to my mind. I've got a whole list here uh, because we've just had so many. No name. I know you've worked with no name at Children's Hospital Television Network. Yes, that's right. As part of I Love to Read Month. Yeah, no name is great. No name really likes pizza, if memory serves. I think that's, yeah, that sounds right to me. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I had a blast working with no name. And uh, being on their their sort of closed circuit television network to to participate, and I love to read month. It was a huge honor actually to to be brought in there and do that. So good pull, Mackling. So keep those puppets coming for a chance to win. Who's your favorite puppet? And if you've got a why or a story to go with that, that will increase your chances to win the Great Outdoors Comedy Festival on July nineteenth. It is Mackling and McGarry. We got a few things to cover off here. We got to share some more puppets with you, some of your favorite puppets. We got to tell you what's new at the movies and what's new on your television this weekend because it's the beginning of the end for a legendary comedy. But I want you to listen to this reaction first. This is from Nova Scotia, as you heard from Sarah Shubanakity Sam, one of the Canadian groundhogs who was predicting early spring. But this is the crowd reacting to. Sam's prediction. I think it's pretty safe to say that Sam did not see her shadow, which is an indication that spring is on its way. They're booing? Maybe they're thinking what I'm thinking. You have to have winter before you can have spring. Yeah? I'm not sure. That's an interesting reaction. Normally you would associate an announcement or a proclamation of just six more weeks of weather as being greeted in Nova Scotia with a standing ovation. So that's weird, but uh, okay. we'll keep you up to date. We've, we're going to find out at eight, after eight, o, 8 o'clock what Manitoba Merv has to say. And Manitoba Merv being a puppet inspired our question today. What is... Or who is your favorite puppet for a chance to win tickets for the Great Outdoors Comedy Festival? And we're getting all kinds of 
Ones that I, I got to be honest, I haven't thought of in a while, and I'm very happy this morning to be thinking of them. Dr. Teeth and Electric Mayhem, Rusty the Rooster and Jerome the Giraffe from Friendly Giant, Fozzie Bear, going back a little further, Topo Gigio. I guess Animal is part of Dr. Teeth and Electric Mayhem, but he is sort of a fascination all on his own. Gonzo has come up a bunch of times. Darren says the best puppets ever come from the Muppets. It is hard uh, pick, but my opinion, Statler and Waldorf are at the top of the list. Darren, <laughs> Catherine, Peter amongst those on the Statler and Waldorf train. Kevin, the garbage man says, sorry guys, but uh, I just evicted Oscar from his house. 204-780-6868. Your favorite puppet and why for a chance to win tickets for the Great Outdoors Comedy Festival. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. In the meantime, Braden, I forgot to check with you beforehand, so if I'm ambushing you with this, don't worry about it. But do you happen to have something picked out to to herald the arrival of the couch potatoes? Oh, he's got one. The whole orchestra band. <laughs> <laughs> this one's classic, but there's nothing wrong with a classic. <laughs> I think that might be might be one of the first ones uh, that I ever heard for that. So way to go, Brayden, for digging that one up. But yeah, so here's what we're going to do. We've got two things to tell you. I'm just going to quickly tell you what's new at the movies, and then we are both going to tell you what's new on your television this weekend because I know GMAC is excited. But starting at the movies, it's a director or a movie directed by Matthew Vaughn. It's called Argyle. Listen up. Somehow, what you wrote in your Argyle series turned out to be real. And now every spy in the world is coming after us. I am a writer! I can't pull off a spy mission. So this movie looks super fun. When I saw the trailer for this a couple of months ago, I thought, oh, that looks neat. So Bryce Dallas Howard plays the author of a spy series. And when we see her stories come to life, the action is portrayed on screen, Agent Argyle is played by Henry Cavill. His teammate is John Cena. And their enemy is singer Dua Lipa, which is pretty cool. No kidding. But uh, apparently, like, and when you look at the, the, the poster, you would assume Henry Cavill is the main star because he's front and center. Apparently, he's in the movie for like five minutes. Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah. They're using him as a tease, as a prop? Pretty much. As an invitation to visit Argyle? That's right. So, because the... We focus primarily on the author of the spy series, Bryce Dallas Howard, and Sam Rockwell, who plays the spy who comes to look after her because, for whatever reason, she's everything she's written has come true. So the bad guys are after her because they think she's some sort of a fortune teller. Um, so it looks fun, and uh, but it's getting more bad reviews than good. And apparently it's two hours, 20 minutes. Ooh, where which, do I find it? It's what's that? Where, where where do I find it? The movie theater. It's in the theater. Yeah, and two hours and how long? Twenty minutes. It's too long for a movie like this. Two twenty isn't bad for certain films, but Matthew Vaughn's movies are often really frantic and sort of like it's just too much. It's too much, so you got to max out at two hours. So apparently, it's a mess. I don't know. I was going to. Th- I was thinking of going to see that. I might hold off on that until it makes its way to our TV. And speaking of TV, new on TV this weekend, it's the beginning of the end 
for one of the best comedies ever. Curb your enthusiasm. Say it ain't so. That's what happens when people have sex. They say, I love you. You're very special. People talk like that? Yeah. Men do that? <laughs> 12 seasons of Curb, which comes from the mind of Larry David, the co-creator of Seinfeld. It is one of the funniest shows on TV as he takes on social etiquette issues, but he always finds a way to create social etiquette issues. It is ragingly hilarious and delightfully foul. You're small, you're petty, you're jealous. You're a walking virus, Larry. So did you know the first season aired in 2000? Yeah, because they typically take at least a year in between each season, right? Yeah. So, yeah, they, they take a year off. And I think they hammer these episodes out pretty quickly when they film them. Uh, my wife will be thrilled to know that this is the end of Curb Your Enthusiasm because she will she will often come upstairs and I will be watching. And she's like, really? Really? What do you find funny about that show? All of it! Every single word. Yes, yeah. some of the best television ever made, bar none. And if it's not for you, I get it, but I'm sorry. You just cannot top Curb Your Enthusiasm. If you thought Seinfeld was good, it's Seinfeld on steroids. Yeah, because they can swear. <laughs> Partly. Because they can swear. And and just the because of the, like, you know, with Seinfeld being a network television show and any network TV show has to deal with this where you have to kind of write into a commercial break. Whereas with curb, they can just to sort of keep the, keep things flowing. And what curb does like curb and Jeff Braun will agree with me. Jeff Braun is a co-host of the couch potatoes. We both cannot binge this show because each episode is exhausting because they cram so many jokes and so many gags and they manage, they, they have like, Every show will have two, maybe three, like one primary plot and then two or three subplots. Curb manages to get five, six, seven, eight in every episode. And some of them are just like superfluous and not really super meaningful, but they still, they're there for a reason and it all comes in and all makes sense. And just thinking about how do they make this work? How do they, how do they put this puzzle together every single time? Especially when you keep in mind that it's loosely scripted. So yeah. much of it is ad-libbed mm-hmm. by these incredible performers, these incredible actors that have wor- learned to work with one another the way they do. And I don't know if any other TV series has helped get an individual exonerated from a charge of murder. Larry goes to a baseball game. He goes to a Los Angeles Dodgers baseball game. They film it in Dodger Stadium. And there was an individual who was up on murder charges in Southern California, but his image shows up in that episode and they filmed it while the murder that he was accused of was taking place. So he got off the hook. Really? Yes. Oh my gosh. I did not. I never knew that. True story. Oh, that's incredible. So Curb Your Enthusiasm, the first season aired back in 2000. And ever since, there's always a will he or won't he come back for another season. This is it. The 12th and final season of Curb debuts Sunday, February 4th on HBO and Crave. I really did the best under the circumstances of a person who hates people and yet had to be amongst them. <laughs> I'm gonna leave me 
That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, such a good show. Uh, Couch Potatoes, by the way, airs Saturdays and Sundays at noon on CJOB. And the you can also listen to it in podcast form. You can find that already at CJOB.com. Um, because we recorded on Tuesday, Jeff's on vacation, so we recorded on Tuesday, and we did sort of a look ahead to some of the things that we're excited about for 2024. It is Mackling and McGarry. Just a heads up, we usually do our Friday Jets report with John Shannon at 7.55. Uh, we're going to push that back a little bit today, and a heads up that at 8.35, we are going to hear from Brian Barkley, CJOB legend, formerly of the Traffic Cruiser. He stopped by for a visit. So we said, hey, you're talking to us. Get in there. Sit in front of a microphone. He didn't have a puppet or a muppet at his side for a long time in the Traffic Cruiser, but there was Badger the dog. Badger the traffic dog. That's right. He said he had billboards of Brian and Badger. I don't remember those. Yeah, and I know that, that I I can't I can't either. But apparently, they had uh, billboards for for all of the hosts oh, it's here an, at CJOB. Interesting concept. Yeah, yeah, I know. I that's what I said to him. Like, oh, your dog had a billboard, eh? That's great. Um, and on the subject of puppets, we are asking you at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight who um, who's your favorite puppet. And <laughs> I've been waiting for this one. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, Lee says, I got a kick out of Triumph the Comic Insult Puppet from the old Conan O'Brien show, especially when he visited the Star Wars convention or the Bon Jovi concert. Triumph the Comic Insult Dog. So funny, so quick witted and, and kind of vulgar. I'm going to. Uh, okay. Oh boy. I'm going to. I'm, I'm Are pl- you really? Well, I, I'm not going to play this cold because the last time I got, I did something cold, I got burned. But I'm going. It's a 15 second clip. I'm just going to listen to it off the air here. Okay, you do that. We also have several votes for Ed the sock as well. Can you can. Brett's making sure that we're not going to break a million CRTC rules all at once here. And uh, at the same time, make it the very last edition of Mackling and McGarry on the start. This is Triumph the Insult. I'm trusting you, Brett. Talking to Darth (laughs) Vader. This would be my chest box that helps me to breathe. So this is to help you breathe, yes? Yes. And which of these <laughs> which of these buttons calls your parents to pick you up? <laughs> I came across that on social media the other day. That Star Wars episode, that yeah. clip is 10 minutes long. I pressed play on it, I said, I'll watch it 34. I watched every second. I could not turn it off. And an interesting thing just to tie back into Curb Your Enthusiasm, and, and that that's such a good bit from Triumph the, uh, Triumph the <laughs> Insult Comic Dog. The Bon Jovi one is very good as well. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. But the guy who plays, who, who's the voice of Triumph, he was in an episode of Curb Your Schmeigel, Enthusiasm. Schmeigel, right? My, is it, yeah, he what's was... What's his first name? I can't remember. Maybe he was in more than one episode, but the, the one I remember, he was a mechanic. He ran, yeah. a, ran a mechanic shop. But he also had a softball team, and I can't, I can't even play any of that. No, because he gives the most obscene, offensive pep talk, pep speech ahead of time, which is he, one of my favorite moments 
on the history of the show. So Bill Buckner makes a guest appearance in this episode. And ultimately, that's what uh, Larry David does. He blows the game. And uh, Schmeigel says to him, you buckled me. You buckled me. How, how could you? And the, <laughs> and, and, and the profanity, as you mentioned, Brett, is it's almost unimaginable. Made me blush. Made me uncomfortable. Really? That pep talk. Oh, absolutely. There are. I have lines as well. <laughs> of where I'm comfortable and uncomfortable. And then on a similar note, we have several votes for Ed the Sock. Yeah, Ed the Sock, a Canadian legend. He's yeah. pretty active on social media to this day. He is. He is. And I, yeah, he was a terrific. He was one of the, the VJs on Much. Did right? he work solo or did he work with, uh, did he have a human counterpart? Uh I think sometimes he would he would work alongside somebody, but there we would often see Ed by himself. I think, and he I'm pretty sure that he was brought in either as a panelist or maybe the host of Too Much for Much. I can't remember. He, but he did all kinds of weird stuff for Much, and uh, but yeah, now he's just he, and didn't he have his own? Oh shoot, I'm trying maybe to maybe did he had his own show or something on you maybe. Uh, I'm drawing a total. Well, was it Gal? Which Gallagher? Dan Gallagher had that late night show. Yeah, and I think that Ed the Sock would have a recurring, like he would visit quite often on Dan Gallagher's late night show. But Ed the Sock, another good pick. And then, by the way, uh, you referenced something about Curb Your Enthusiasm bailing a guy out of murder charges. That's right. There's a documentary. On Netflix, just found out about it. It's called Long Shot. That's about the gentleman who was at a Dodgers game. They were filming an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm Season 4. It's called The Carpool Lane. This guy was charged with murder. He goes, I couldn't have done it. I was at a baseball game, and the footage from Curb Your Enthusiasm saved him from going to prison. Greg, as you just heard from Sarah, we have to uh, set our eyes once again on the 680 CJOB breaking news Groundhog Action Center. We are going live on the ground to Oak Hammock Marsh. Clay Young, Global News Morning, is standing by. Clay, good morning. Yes, this is what, in in Clay's terms, news one alert. (laughs) Give us the details, Clay. Jacques Bourgeois of uh, Oak Hammock Marsh is with us. Okay, this happened just just literally moments ago. Manitoba Merv is coming out. He looked very cute. What was what did he say? What is he saying? Well, he looked around, and sure enough, it was a big orange orange ball in the sky. So we do have six more weeks of winter in Manitoba. So don't put those shovels away just yet. How do you feel about this this breaking news? Well, honestly, I mean, it's been very unseasonably warm lately, and it's kind of a it doesn't feel like winter. I kind of like winter. It's good to have you know, snow for snowshoeing. And so I think it'll make some people happy. Some people might be sad, but I think overall we might be okay. We're in Manitoba. We should expect six more weeks of winter anyway. You know, it, is, it has been brought to my attention that of all the groundhogs in Canada that make their predictions on this day, according to the Weather Network, uh, Manitoba Merv has a 73% success rate. I would argue it's higher than that because if you think about it, early spring in Manitoba, if it doesn't see a shadow, early spring is uh, mid-March for us, right. right? And six more weeks from now, if you see the shadow, it's also six weeks. It's also mid-March, so right. technically, can't really be wrong. Okay, let's plug uh, let's plug uh, Oak Hammock Marsh. Lots to do and see out here. 
It is. We are currently undergoing some major renovations and construction in the whole building. The Conservation Center, the Wetland Discovery Center is closed, but we do have some activities still taking place outside because, let's face it, the marsh is a giant playground. People can still come out and, and explore the trails, go snowshoeing, and do different activities. We have a few school programs also. Right now, we are focusing on Voyager theme programs because it's a festival coming up, so people can come and make some bannock with us. We have lots of fun stuff coming up. You make a mean bannock. Thank you for that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Right. Well, thank you for the breaking news, by the way. So six more weeks of, of winter, according to Merv. Don't put those shovels away just yet. No, no. Uh, and Merv doesn't talk, does he? He doesn't talk, but he actually comes out to make sure people know that today is also World Wetlands Day. And that's why he is so important for us at Orkamek March, because it's a really important day for us. And Merv is just our uh, sort of a sponsor of, the, of that event. Okay. Well, thank you. So, oh, wait a minute. Here is Merv. Here's Merv. Merv, your prediction. I told you, Clay, six more weeks of winter, and whether you like it or not, that's what I predict. Come back over to you. Well, thank you, Mer- Manitoba Merv. Let's go back to the studio. <laughs> uh, How do you, we not Clay? just go straight to break after that? Uh, we have to follow that up? Yes, we do. <laughs> Jacques, Jacques sort of put it bluntly there, and I think it's it's bang on. It echoes what our good friend Kat and Gimli said, like, Come on, guys. We're in Manitoba. Of course, there's six more weeks of winter. And Jock says, well, really, Merv cannot be wrong, no matter which way he goes, as long as he goes with six more weeks of winter. Yeah, so was Clay implying that Manitoba Merv is the most reliable? I think I think so, yeah. So, But, but then Jock has to, I, I feel like Jock is Icarus. He's flying too close to the sun. Right, because he's already, already up top, and he's like, oh, but I'd argue he's even more correct. And here's a blunt reason why, because yeah, yeah. six weeks of winter, we know that. We know winter is six weeks away, regardless of what the groundhog says. No one believes that, like, if the groundhog says early spring that all of the snow is just going to melt tomorrow and it's going to, I mean, that's kind of what we've been looking at, but... It's we know that it's not going to be instantaneously spring, but just as far as the as the the long term forecast goes, so we've still got above zero temperature into potentially up to Wednesday. Holy smokes! But then then it looks like it'll drop down below zero, like for the for your daytime highs as well uh, for the foreseeable future. But nothing. Insane. Nothing like jaw dropping, eye popping. Like it takes us until February 15th to get back down to minus 10 for a forecast high, minus 16 for a forecast low on both days, the, the Thursday the 15th and Friday the 16th. There's hope for the ODR yet. There's hope for the Ironman Curling Classic yet. Yeah. In the forecast. So hang tight. If this mild weather is not your forte, not your cup of tea. There may be a better cup of tea on the horizon for you. But Manitoba Merv, breaking news, has seen his shadow six more weeks of winter, at least in Manitoba. He doesn't want to agree with his Canadian counterparts. Has his hat. Manitoba Merv just had to be different, hey? Wyrton well, Willie in Ontario, uh, Fred Lamarmot in Quebec, <laughs> and Nova Scotia's Shubanakity Sam all What's called for Quebec early again? spring. Fred Lamarmat. When I saw that sun coming up in the east, it's like, okay, if Merv doesn't see his shadow, this is a scam. Means he's looking at the sun. Has to see his shadow. Well, the shadow would be behind him. Casting a shadow. 
behind him. Wouldn't it? So he's looking away from it. Yeah. Sun shining, big shadow, casting a very long shadow. But behind him. So if he's looking, if he's looking at the sun, he's not going to see his shadow. Does he look at the sun? Well, that's the. That, I would rather. I would rather hear that he looks at the sun. Then he wouldn't have seen his shadow, but he did. I know. <laughs> Garbage. Thanks, but, but, the, but the reasoning that there's a sun in the sky. Of course, yeah. he saw his shadow. That's false. I just poked a big hole in that logic. He would be casting a giant shadow. But based if he's on not looking fact. at it, I don't know. I'm cheap. 813 traffic weather business next on the start. (laughs) And we played a chunk of this yesterday during our small town salute because on Wednesday we had an old friend visit our studio. He was a staple on this radio station for more decades than I'm sure he would care for us to point out. (laughs) (laughs) But he's one of our favorite alum. Brian Barkley of the CJOB Traffic Cruiser and much else. Brian, good morning, my friend. Great to see your face. Good morning. And boy, thanks for having me up here. This is extraordinary just to connect with you guys again. It's been a while and I've been listening to you for years and years again, but it's nice just to see you face to face again. This is great. How long have you been retired now? I think it's uh, over eight years now. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That seems impossible. (laughs) You know, I mentioned the fact that you were a staple and, you know, not to pump your tires in any way, shape or form, but you were sort of the unofficial, if not the official ambassador of the radio station every day out in the traffic cruiser. I was lucky enough to be out there a number of times with you and filled in for you. And so the focus on driving properly was critical, right? Because right. if you didn't use your your signal to change lanes, you heard about it on the text line. That's I saw you, Mackling. <laughs> so are you still as good a driver as you ever were, Brian? I like to think so. I, I learned a lot from the, a lot of professionals, whether it's police or driving instructors or a whole or array of people, and they taught me a lot about driving properly. And I, I started to really... Over the many years I did the the traffic, I, I I tried to do it, and I continued to do it because I really believe traffic safety is hugely important. We often talk about crime and all the death in, in crime, murders and crime, but we forget that the numbers with traffic crashes and fatalities are almost the same as they are for murders. And and but the ones in traffic, they're preventable, and, and they are still preventable. And just in terms of like, do you do you notice things a little bit differently, or have you noticed any? trends over the last few years in terms of the way traffic flows in Winnipeg? Just uh, this last summer in particular, uh, with the way, I'll give you a backstory. Usually summertime traffic, even with all what I was doing for all those 25 years, summertime traffic, there was always lots of work and we always expected lots of construction and road lane closures, but also there was so much less traffic volumes. There was no school, people were on vacation. And drive times, even with the, all the road work, drive times were often much, much faster. But this past year, I heard from so many people saying their 20-minute drive was taking an hour, an hour and a half. And I was downtown a few times. And uh, I agree, it was taking double and triple the time because every single major route that I encountered was getting worked on. So there was no there was no uh, options to go elsewhere. And I don't know, the one thing I don't know about is just why the uh, drop in uh, numbers driving, and I assume there were still people on vacation and there's no nobody in school. I don't know why that didn't help the drive times, but uh, it didn't. The drive times were terrible this past summer. Are you a proponent of the zipper merge, <laughs> Brian? <laughs> I like it. Yes. In fact, we have one just uh, near where I live and I use it all the time as long as people use it. And more and more people are using it and we ought to use it more often because uh, 
many, many years ago, it was introduced on a few routes and people started to get the idea of how to use it. It still hasn't been brought in on a universal scale, but uh, we have one now on uh, uh, Dunkirk, Osborne, that area. There's a zip remote and people use it and it works very well. Yeah, that's great that uh, people are starting to finally catch on yep. to the zipper merge uh, because that, that I think, is sort of the hallmark of, and maybe drivers are the same everywhere, but it feels like in Winnipeg in particular that a lot of us are stubborn. And it, 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 that ties into a, an overall thing that so many of us hate. Don't just fear change, but we hate it. No, I don't want to change it. That's I don't right. want your stupid zipper merge. They just, yeah, it's a new um, concept for a lot of people, or it was a new concept for a lot of people, and there's always resistance to change. But I do see more and more people when Zipper is introduced with signage saying this is a Zipper mode, and you see a few of those signs around, then people really do use it, and it works. And that, that's got to convince people that it's it's not just something new and stupid. It actually It's actually innovative and working. Yeah, well, we're still bad at the overall merges, I find. <laughs> yes. uh, I've got Chief Banquist right. Trail in my neighborhood. And so I think it's a lack of opportunity to practice them, right? Because yep. our infrastructure. But another thing that people were, and I was probably part of this group that was a little bit like roundabouts, really? Those work fantastically work fantastic. now we've got, that we've gotten rid of so many four-way stops that yeah. were not efficient at all. Boy, and that's a great concept, and you, but that's something you see globally, too, if you're driving in many, many other countries or seeing other countries or many other cities, and then they're spreading all around Winnipeg now, and they just work. They eliminate so much stopping at stop signs or whatever else, and they're efficient. They move you quickly. We've got one in our neighborhood, and... The lineups we used to have at that four-way stop, they're not there anymore. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, what people do and what other countries do to manage traffic. You were known as a global traveler during your time <laughs> here, hosting cruises and doing other things. And I and I know your wife used to travel all over the world for, you know, spreading her knowledge. Yep. Eight years of retirement. How's the travel? We've still done lots. In fact, it was interesting during... Um, during COVID, it was different, of course, times over those couple of years, but we did 60 day trips uh, over that time. And you think, well, the, the idea of a day trip doesn't sound that exciting, but we found so many things in Manitoba that we hadn't seen before. And sometimes a day trip meant we were gone for 12, 13, 14 hours and just all over the province seeing uh, areas, uh, different small towns we'd never visited, some parks we hadn't visited, some waterfalls we hadn't seen, trails we hadn't seen. And it, it, it I, I was always somebody, before we'd done these day trips, I knew we were a prairie province, and, you, and I knew we had some, a lot of lakes and forest, but it was kind of just general knowledge. But then once you get out in there uh, and seeing the incredible sights of the province, we never had one of those day trips that we did that we were disappointed in. Everyone had new things to show us. Yeah, that's so great. And we were just talking this week about exploring and tell us a time that you went exploring and you just sort of joined that conversation and, and uh, glad that you had that perspective, Brian, because so many of us don't get the opportunity, either don't make the time or just simply don't have the time to, to get out there and see what is in our beautiful backyard. Because so many of us, we just know the basics. We, we, I mean, no Grand Beach and we know Riding Mountain. And of course, those are wonderful places. But we have the half a dozen staples that we know, but there's so many other staples that, and we had to discover, my wife and I and uh, another friend we traveled with, we had to discover the ethnicity of so many of these towns. There's this, this, what changes the architecture of some of the towns and the way they're built. We even found a buffalo drop in Manitoba. 
And you know what a buffalo drop is? Sure. I thought they were sort of exclusive to Saskatchewan and Alberta. I thought that too. But we were visiting a museum and um, an interesting place in Cartwright, Manitoba. And uh, somebody in the area said, have you seen the buffalo drop? And I had no idea what he was talking about. But there's provincial signs pointing to this area. And it was used um, hundreds or thousands of years ago. And the buffalo were ran over this big, tall cliff, um, maybe a half hour from Cartwright, Manitoba. And it's a spectacular view of a buffalo drop in southwestern Manitoba. So my sister has lived, she doesn't live there any longer, but she lived in Cartwright for almost a decade. Yeah. Didn't even know that was there. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> so now I know. Yeah. Is there another hidden gem from you that you would uh, that you would point us to? Steep Rock. You know Steep Rock? Sure. Yeah. And that's a place we hadn't heard of. And it, uh, this goes back to the very beginning of the uh, the pandemic. And then someone suggested, have you seen Steep Rock? I forget if it was on social media or if they phoned me. I don't remember what it was. So we drove out there the three hours north. And Steep Rock is a gem that many, many people don't know about. It's a beautiful view of the... Just of the cliffs and the rocks and the, and the hiking trails and the, um, oh, what's the spring flower that... Uh, is it the crocus? Crocus, no. yes. Yeah, it is the crocus. Yeah. I didn't know if it was up there. I've only been up there once because my brother lives on that side of Lake Manitoba. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so we've gone up there because, you know, people rave about it and the turquoise waters yeah, and the, that's right. uh, Goat Island and all the yes. all the little hidden gems of, yeah. of, of Manitoba. So, Brian, before we let you go here, because we're almost out of time... Yeah. Do you ever miss being on the radio? You know you what had, I miss? You had, you had such a unique career in the sense that yeah. you had, in a given day, you would have multiple co-hosts. Morning, yeah. afternoon. I don't know how you did that, by the way, every day for all those years. AM and FM? AM and FM, yeah. And PM. He did the splits, right? He did oh, the morning the sp- and afternoon the split traffic. Was, the split was tough. And it's funny, a lot of people had the sympathy that I was doing a split ship, but I got so used to it, and I enjoyed enjoyed having those three, four, five hours off in the middle of the day. I've, in fact, I would do the morning show, and then I'd come in for the news meeting at 9.30 or 10 o'clock, whatever that was, and I'd, then I'd go home for four or five hours and enjoy those four or five hours, and then go out again for, it, it changed over the years a little bit, from two and a half to three and a half hours, something like that. But I, I didn't mind the split shift at all, and I, and I loved working with so many different co-hosts, whether it was on Power 97 or whether it was on CJOB, the morning folks and the afternoon folks, they felt, and they were, they were friends that I was working with on air. They were on-air friends. And so he asked me what I miss. I don't miss getting up in the morning and all the hours of working, but I do miss <laughs> the personal touch with so many people that I connected with. People must still recognize you when you're out in a boat, though, Brian. Come on. Boy, it, it, it surprises me, Greg. Uh, in the sense that I thought, well, I'm retired eight years now, but people still want to come up and share a story or share that the fact that they, I, I call those folks radio friends, and these folks come and talk to me, and uh, they, they they feel like as though I'm their friend, and they want to share some memories with me. Hey, and it still happens. I still get stopped occasionally with that. Well, and even the traffic cruiser was such an iconic yeah. piece of Winnipeg that was so connected. And even when I, like several years after I started working at CJOB, if I happened to be on the street and you rolled up or you were, you know, the traffic cruiser was across the street, I'd get excited. <laughs> and the fact that we don't have that traffic cruiser anymore, like we really lost uh, an important connection to our community. And the other part of that story is I would often have guests in the car. They weren't there all the time, but I had guests in the car. And so, uh, yeah, yes. But I had people like Alexander Micklethwaite from Winnipeg Symphony. He did maybe a dozen trips with me over the years. We became friends with that. Right. And I, I had, uh, I had premiers and mayors and a whole variety of people who wanted to travel with me. And it was interesting to drive with these folks. And once the mic was off, we would just chat on a 
kind of a personal basis. So I got to know so many people across the board, and I, I miss you ask me what I miss. I miss the personal contact with, with people, friends on the air. I don't miss getting up in the morning and having the long days, but I do miss the personal contact. And I would get 50 to 100 calls a day from listeners, and I connected with many of those listeners. So I miss the personal touch. You've had a legend. You had a legendary career, Brian Barkley. We thank you so much for the visit. Brian just was here picking up a picture, and uh, we hijacked you, <laughs> dragged you into the studio, and said, "Sit down. <laughs> you are recording with us." Outrageous. <laughs> That sounded a little like Larry Hopkins. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, Brian, thank you for this. Much thank appreciated. You. Brian Barkley, that was on Wednesday. We, we had a chance to record that chat. And um, what a treat to see Brian again and hear his wonderful voice. My word, I love Brian Barkley. <laughs> My word. <laughs> Traffic and weather next on The Start. It is Mackling and McGarry. We just ran an interview with Brian Barkley, CJOB legend. Was in the traffic cruiser for over 20 years, 25 years on CJOB and Power 97. Crazy. And Steve and Morden weighing in with a reaction to that interview. Boy, am I glad I was 10 minutes late getting out the door to work this morning. Never imagined I would hear a conversation including my hometown of Cartwright and the Buffalo Drop. Steve says, made my day. That was in reference to Brian Barkley talking about the 60-odd day trips he and his wife took over the last couple of years. Um, sort of necessitated, I think, or originally precipitated by the pandemic. Couldn't go anywhere, but you could stay in Manitoba. So let's go explore. And we're asking you this morning, inspired by Manitoba Merv, who is a puppet, who... So far, I believe, is the only Canadian groundhog to predict an additional six weeks of winter. The others are calling for early spring. We're asking you, who's your favorite puppet? What does Dave say? My favorite puppet was Marvin Mouse. He is the only puppet I know that went on vacation. The story goes that a very popular person from the neighborhood had a delivery to the CKY building. And upon leaving, saw Marvin laying there and... (coughs) borrowed him on the show it was reported that marvin was on holidays plus marvin didn't say much while he was on tv and bill and i were exchanging conversation about marvin the mouse from archie and his friends good old uh uncle bob and friends he was a little bit he was a little bit cheeky marvin mouse yeah petite petite was a dog that was a little bit more polite i think only uncle bob could hear Petite. I think Petite had to whisper in Uncle Bob's ear, if I remember correctly. But I mean, this is a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Marvin the Mouse. Well, you talking One about of my faves? You talk about cheeky. We had somebody asking, "Is Ted a yeah. puppet?" <laughs> yes. And uh, we Ted is ba- so now currently a television show right. that airs Thursdays on Showcase. But that's sort of a prequel TV series. They did the two movies. So this 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 talking teddy bear who is voiced by Seth MacFarlane and co-starring Mark Wahlberg. He curses, he swears, he drinks, he smokes weed. He's uh, he's a womanizer, but he's CG. So no, not a puppet. But that there's sort of a line there. Can you can you go with CG? Because Cam had Yoda. As his pick, Yoda is a puppet in the original trilogy. Right. In the new trilogy, or in the prequel trilogy, 
He's now fully digital. He was a puppet when The Phantom Menace first came out, mm-hmm. and George Lucas since went back and, and fixed and changed that, fixed it in his eyes. He's fully digital now. That's fixing it? I don't know. Hmm. I'll reserve judgment. Yeah. I think it, he looked kind of weird as a puppet in the first one. They tried to make him look younger, and they just made him look weird. It is Mackling and McGarry. We are going to introduce... Who we have in studio with us in just a moment, but a reminder, we're asking you who's your favorite puppet, and it's inspired by Groundhog Day. It's inspired by the fact that Manitoba Merv over at Oak Marsh is a puppet. What does Brandon say? Brandon says, if that giant squirrel waited till the afternoon to take a look for a shadow, it would be cloudy. It's rigged, my friends. Rigged, I tell ya. That's what Brandon says. Yeah, Manitoba Merv saw his shadow. So uh, another six weeks of winter. But all the other Canadian groundhogs, we have uh, Fred La Marmotte in Quebec <laughs> and Shubanakity Sam in Nova Scotia and Wyerton Willie in Ontario. They're all saying early spring. Apparently there's an Okanagan Oki. There's a lobster in Nova Scotia. There's a whole roster of these a critters. Lobster, that's right. We're trying to get in on this thing. The so. lobster saw their shadow. I don't understand how Lucy the lobster managed. How, as a lobster, do you see her shadow? Like, do they even have eyeballs? I guess they do have eyeballs, but uh, <laughs> a lot of questions. She's becoming a snack for someone's dinner later on. Oh, and I wonder how far away Lucy the lobster is from Shubanakity Sam. Like right? That. How many do you need, Nova Scotia? <laughs> well, is, is Lucy the lobster in Nova Scotia? Yeah, she yes. is. Yep. They have two. Yeah. They couldn't just have one. They had to be different. Hog in the headlines out there in uh, Nova Scotia. <laughs> so, who's your favorite puppet? Uh, oh, by the way, Greg, do <laughs> the formal intro. <laughs> um, we have uh, in our midst, at our side, the face, the personality, the loveliness of Global News Morning, Gabrielle Marchand, seen Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. till 9 a.m. on CKND Television, Channel 9, Cable 12. Classic Gab, just inserting myself into the conversation. I'm sorry, that was Perfect. so rude. No, Hi. Hi. Hello. Hello. Happy <laughs> Friday, everybody. <laughs> not rude at all. Uh, so who's your favorite puppet? I'm going to preface this by saying, people, don't come at me with paint. This came from back in the day when it was okay to have animals sort of taxidermied. So we had this thing. I think it came from my Nana from like maybe the 30s or something, the 40s in Montreal. And she had this, what I can only describe as two ferrets that had sort of been almost taxidermied. Like they were like, it was like a scarf. You created a scarf or something to wrap around your neck. Two ferrets sort of sewn together. So you had a mer- ferret mouth on either side. <laughs> you and mean- they they had clips on the bottom so they could clip. So you could wrap it around your neck and you clipped the two ferret mouths together. So they so made the a circle. Ferrets, it was apparent that they were actual they were they ferrets? were for sure real ferrets. And they'd sort of been stuffed with their eyes preserved. Very creepy. I don't know who would wear that, but oh anyway. My. So we had it from our nana and we had it in like our tickle trunk and we'd chase it was scary. We would chase each other around with the ferret heads and make the mouths go like talk. This is diabolical. It was so scary. <laughs> Jeez. Haunting. Yeah. Yeah, I think about it still. Those those two ferrets. I wonder where it is. I should try wearing it as a fashion statement and see if anyone throws paint on me. Yes, you should. <laughs> Do you, do you at least have a picture of it? No, I'll try to find one. Yeah, I think there probably is a picture of us as kids, like with the ferret wrapped around us, the two ferrets, that's, the ferret head. That's creepy. It's man. super creepy. <laughs> so one, another thing we talked about this week, Strever, Chris Streveler. Speaking of fur coats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. Chris Streveler has come back to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, so that got us wondering, like, what's the thing or what's the place or 
whatever that that pulled you back in or that you just couldn't quite walk away from? You know what? And I don't want to just copy Strevler because he's epic and nobody can follow in his footsteps. That's for sure. But I would say the exact same thing about Winnipeg. I came here for a mat leave job. I plan to leave. I don't have any family here. My family's, I probably should have applied to a job years ago in Alberta to be close to my niece and nephew and my sister, but uh, I've just stayed and now I'm determined to live here forever. I love Winnipeg. It is gritty. People are friendly. It's genuine. Genuine is, I think, the word I really think of when I think about Winnipeg. My heart skipped a beat there because you said about maternity leave. I'm like... Gabby, do you have a child? You're not telling us about. I came, I came, sorry, I came for someone else. <laughs> By the way, there's that kid I never talk about that you never see who's my just word. living We're in my basement. So many things today, <laughs> I never knew. Ferrets and secret children: the Gabrielle Marchand story. <laughs> News. Film at eleven. <laughs> oh, that's great to hear, though, Gabby. Because uh, I always just assumed you'd you'd take off. No, I, I haven't applied for a single job since I came to Global Winnipeg, and I won't because I love it here. I'm making my life here, you guys. I think it's Manitoba is beautiful, and I love people in Winnipeg. Hide this audio from all of Gabby's bosses. <laughs> <laughs> Do not let them hear this audio. <laughs> They're just actually paying me in gummy bears. I'm not even making. I volunteer. Did you guys know that? <laughs> <laughs> once, a, well, once, once, upon, once upon a time, I've heard from several blue bombers over the years, in particularly in the Cal Murphy era back in the in the 1980s. The last thing you ever wanted was for Cal Murphy to find out you'd bought a house in Winnipeg <laughs> because then he knew he had you. In terms of contract negotiations. So, yeah. That's fair. Just kidding. I can't wait to leave. (laughs) (laughs) And then finally, uh, maybe when you do leave, you'd have to go exploring to find a spot. We were talking about times that we just went exploring. Quick anecdote. Uh, If you go over to Europe, make sure you have a data plan for your phone. Because I went with a friend, girlfriend to Lisbon. Uh, We went to Portugal. We got lost in Lisbon. We went exploring, had no data, couldn't figure out where we were, got lost in the dark streets of Lisbon and proceeded to wander around. Then we did it again in Ireland and Dublin, ended up having to beg some bus driver to take us down a side road because we were lost and it was dangerous. So the point of this quick story is if you go somewhere, make sure you have data and don't just go wandering around at, you know, one in the morning on dark streets that you're not familiar with. That's a really good, really good suggestion. Do we have time to ask if you've been mistaken for someone famous? Because I know who I think you look like. That's oh, no. Am I going to be offended? Nobody, I, th- I don't think I, I don't really think look so. like Okay. Tell I me. think you look like Abby Newman on Young and the Restless, Melissa Ordway. I, I don't know who that is, but I'm going to look, look it, up. it up. Someone has told me the girl from Community or one of the younger Olsons, but oh, just yeah. kind of you kind of yeah. look like yeah, them. I can but see you know. the, uh, um, yeah, Brie, that was her character. Brie. Yeah, the the one who's sort of like neurotic and annoying, which kind of checks out <laughs> as well. To be honest with Come you, Come on. Sorry, which character is that? Uh, you know the the girl with Allison Brie, the girl with dark. She has dark hair and she's kind of she is kind oh. of annoying, honestly. But anyway, <laughs> she's lovely at the same time. Hopefully, <laughs> Gabrielle Marchand is the host. of... Of Global News Morning weekdays, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. on Global Winnipeg. Joins us every Friday for the Gab with Gabby. Gabby, always a pleasure. Happy Friday, Winnipeg and Manitoba. Who is your favorite puppet inspired by Manitoba Merv, who is predicting six more weeks of winter? 
Going against the grain for the other Canadian, uh, some of the other Canadian groundhogs. We like so, to be different in Manitoba. Yeah, I gotta, it's always got to be a man, made in Manitoba solution. <laughs> well, if it was a made in Manitoba solution, we wouldn't really have Merv's decision until July or August because we'd have to study the hell out of it first. <laughs> Sorry. So we're asking you who's your favorite puppet. And Jim the Bailiff, uh, one of our runners up here, says the best puppet there was was Freddie the Flute from the show H.R. Puffin Stuff. <laughs> the show was completely magical, including the two little police officers. Now, of the three of us here, me, Greg, and Braden, I'm sure Braden has no idea what we're talking about. I barely know what I'm... I only know it because my parents said that I've watched it over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, my dad's listening right now. Uh, Ross, did I watch this show? I think maybe I did. I I never smoked weed in my teenage years. I know that's part of the HR Puff and stuff sort of legend too, I think. So (laughs) the original SpongeBob. And Greg, uh, Connie A, another one of our runners up here. My favorite puppet is not one, but a set. Years ago, I would say 25 years ago, Costco or its predecessor sold a set of four puppets. I just kept them in our car. And during long trips, I would pull them out and do a puppet show for three kids while my husband did the driving. Everything was made on the go. And sometimes it did not make sense, but our kids loved them. Uh, They were a great entertainment Aid, and we all remember them. Connie, I think I remember these. What were the animals? Please uh, let us know. 780-6868. But for our winner, we're, we're kind of going in different way because we asked who's your favorite puppet, but this person's visceral reaction, I think, just is automatically deserving. And we're, so we're going to leave the name out. That's because fair. this is a person, I, th- I think we should leave the name. Yeah, I out. think that's fair. I think, uh, that, and this answer, by the way, has overtaken the newsroom. It's all anybody's talking about outside our studio walls right now. So this listener says, "Good morning, guys. <clears throat> I need to get something off my chest. I'm 44 years old, and that 44 year old, at 44 years old, I thought Merv the Groundhog was real. You guys, you recently told me." this on the radio that he was a stupid puppet you know how upsetting this is to find out after 44 years thinking that he was real it's upsetting i thought it was real the whole time aggravating why do we have to have a why can't we have a real groundhog that tells us if the spring is here or not i don't understand why he's a stupid puppet it's just so dumb i needed to vent Thank you. I'm done. And then this listener comes back. No, I'm not done. Everything that Merv states now is not real. It's not right. I won't believe it. It needs to be told by a real groundhog, just like everybody else that has a real groundhog. Why do we use a stupid puppet? (laughs) I don't understand the concept. This is so upsetting to me. I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) That is great. That is great. So you win. You win the tickets for the Great Outdoors Comedy Way Festival. Way to go off script, man. That is, like, if you made that up on the fly, that's great. Like, Merv, if that's all fiction, bravo. If it's real, even better. So good. You win the tickets. Congratulations. We want to talk about how our next guest is one of our very favorites, even though she has not. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> 
She, even though she has not brought us donuts for almost half a decade, we jump at any excuse to welcome her to our show. We normally discuss ways to be smarter and more honest about how we are saving our hard-earned money with best-selling author and personal finance educator Kelly Keen. This morning, we are going to learn about the impact that AI might be having on one of our favorite places to spend money. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning, Greg and Brett. I promise donuts are coming your way one day soon. When is the last time you were in Winnipeg? Oh, gosh. Too long, my friends. Too long. COVID just messed everything up. So I I need to make a trip there very soon. I love your city. I love your food scene. And we're talking about restaurants and retail today. Exactly. So several excuses for you to come here, not just to see us. So the AI revolution... Restaurants and retail, from food prep robots to predictive ordering. This part of it is very interesting to me, the predictive ordering. Technology is propelling both those industries into a new era. Uh, Simple question, is it now a robot making the donuts? (laughs) Uh, Not yet. I don't think yet, guys. But you know what? Let me just back up and kind of say, you know, especially for a lot of your listeners, like business really is at the heart of our economy. You know, a lot of small businesses are paying CERB, they're still digging out of COVID and their growth impacts how we interact with them. Uh, Either it might be an improved experience because of them embracing innovation. It might be saving us money or just keeping prices steady. So I, I think this is an important conversation. So this report that came out yesterday from Square, the Future of Commerce report, Basically, it's a good news story that, you know, Canadian business owners, they're finally planning to shift from, you know, survival mode to to growth mode. A hundred percent of restaurants are saying that they're looking to expand. A lot of retailers are looking to expand, too. But here's the conundrum. Seventy seven percent of consumers, no surprise, are feeling uncertain about you know, the economy and their finances and how much they're going to spend. So this innovation, this growth is so important um, to, you know, helping our favorite restaurants survive. We've seen so many of them go under. Uh, So I love this conversation and and, uh, how things are shaken up with uh, maybe robots, but, uh, you know, other ways to innovate as well. Well, Kelly, I mean, as far as automation in restaurants goes, Like, is automation in restaurants not just a choice, but perhaps a necessity? Well, it really is. So what this report is underscoring, I was really surprised to, I I mean, maybe our dining experiences were not so surprised, but 19 months out of the year, restaurants are actually facing staff shortages. So, you know, where can technology help them? Like you said, like food prep robots, voice ordering technology, predictive ordering, all that kind of stuff. Now, you know, a lot of restaurants too, this report's revealing are looking at what's called non-core offerings. So that might be meal kits or subscriptions or events or virtual dining experiences. And uh, I thought this was shocking. 19% of restaurants are already looking to, or excuse me, have already incorporated these non-core offerings to survive, to flourish and, and all of that type of stuff. Yeah, I know during the pandemic, one of our favorite places to go, they became a an online grocery store as a way to supplement 
Brilliant. you know, their, their takeout business. And so some of these things yeah. continue. Some of them have sort of shifted, Kelly. But this whole idea of predictive, when I go on to Amazon and I, hmm. you know, let, let's say I'm looking for a laundry hamper as I purchased okay. the other day, right? There's the one that I click on, but then if I scroll a little bit further down, if you're interested in this one, maybe these are a little bit more appropriate. I also know that when I go to Tim Hortons, 95 times out of 100, I am getting exactly the same thing. So I've always thought right. it would be nice that if they knew that I was coming and if they knew I was close or if I was in the lineup, they could just start getting crack, get, get cracking on my steep tea. Right. Or just like, know, like even like your hunger levels and, and all that. Oh, I don't want them knowing that. Well, it's probably getting to that soon. I know. Like how, how do you even go into a bookstore and choose a book because you don't have uh, an AI telling you what you liked based on your last recommendations? I mean, you know, who sits down and watches a TV show? We use AI on Netflix and everything else to tell us what to watch. So definitely, um, you know, 41% of retailers are saying that they're going to use or are using AI powered product recommendations. So yeah, it's just more, um, you know, engaging experience for us as consumers as well. But should I, you know, because I'm one of the people who, and I get it, AI is used in all kinds of things and has been for years. But now when I hear the term AI, I get my hackles up. So should I not have my hackles up and what we're talking about right now? Well, actually, you know, Greg, I, I think when we hear the term, uh, or Brett, sorry, when we hear the term AI, we, we kind of think of the whole robot thing, of the whole being manipulated, but it's really just, you know, preferences about making that experience better, about innovation, and, and you know, all of that creates lower prices or at least keeps prices the same. So I think the big takeaway is, is like, how can we, uh, ahead of Valentine's Day, share, uh, you know, show a little bit more love to the small businesses that we frequent and also think about how we frequent them? Like, I don't know, like, you know, companies like Square, when I think about the fact that I used to have to go to a sh- uh, farmer's market with loads of cash and yeah. now you can tap and, and go, right? And they've moved so much beyond just that, that, that payment provider. They've got a whole ecosystem of hardware, software, uh, financial services. Like as a small business owner myself, I love the ecosystem and the fact that, you know, we've talked before about buy now, pay later. Like if you're a small business, you have those integration options. Um, it's just, it's very exciting too, for a lot of people who are thinking about starting a small business. Gosh, it was a lot more expensive when I started 20 years ago than it is now. Well, I mean, I can remember when you went to Radio Shack to purchase batteries. Oh, Radio Shack. (laughs) Right? They wanted your name and your phone number and your address uh, because they were building a database to send you the the catalogs a couple times a year. So that was something that they had the technology to do that other stores probably would have loved to have had. But now with something like Square, you know, you mentioned farmer's markets. Now these small independent operators, now that they can have a database of their of their customers and they can start a little bit of a different relationship with you. It doesn't have to end when you buy their jar of jam, so to speak. 
Exactly. And I mean, just even something like merchant services, when I had to apply for that, like 15 years ago, your credit score had to be impeccable. Like it was really hard to get. And just think about something so simple, like being able to use your debit and credit with a small provider. I mean, they used to have a signed cash only because they couldn't approve for it. So yeah, all of this innovation and automation, you would think it's going to have a huge um, cost to it. But yeah, with platforms like Square, you can get it at a fraction of the price. So great for consumers, great for the small businesses that we love and giving us more opportunities to make sure that they survive uh, as they look to expand and, and grow in 2024. One more quick one for you. We, we, we often lament my boys are working now and they both work in the restaurant industry, one for an independent, okay. one for a very large chain. And the one that works yeah. for the large chain often gets his hours cut. He'll show up for a six-hour shift. They send him home early because it's not as busy as they predicted it would be. I'm wondering if this AI might actually be a benefit to some of those part-time workers because the things can be maybe a little bit more predictive in terms of what they're expecting right. to see based on a variety of circumstances, a variety of data, weather, time of day, things yeah. that are going on, as an example. Is, is, is that something that, that's on the horizon, Kelly? Yeah, the report didn't go into it, Greg, but definitely love the idea. Yeah, exactly. Is there a hockey game tonight? Is there a concert in the area? Like, what is going on? Absolutely. Like, we even see that with our Google Maps, right? Like, it used to be very rudimentary. Now they can give us predictions on how long it's going to take us to travel. So the, these things are so simple, but yet um, their evolution just happens gradually without us noticing. And sometimes we kind of have to take a pause and go, you know what, things are pretty cool. Like, well, you know, how much tech and innovation has helped us interact, being able to make online reservations or open up an app or, you know, eat, like have a little reminder that your dinner reservation is coming up in half an hour. All of those things help consumers, but they also help the small business owner know, hey, you know, we're going to have a large rush this evening or we had 20 cancellations because it was a snowstorm. Absolutely. That helps everyone. And, and good on your boys for getting out there working. That's awesome, Greg. Kelly Keene joining us live on 680 CJOB. Kelly, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for Brett. joining us. Thanks for having me, Brett and Greg. Happy Friday. Happy Groundhog Day. Kelly Keene is, uh, has a website, kellykeen.com. That's spelled K-E-L-L-E-Y-K-E-E-H-N.com. We often talk to her about money issues. Today we're talking to her about AI and how it could revolutionize business. No, it doesn't necessarily need to be something you're afraid of. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. Uh, one of the things we do around here on TV, Global TV, they have a green screen. And Scott ties that back, wanted to know our puppet conversation. Yeah. Kermit the Frog, as a weather reporter, in for <laughs> Drew Stremick, all you'd see is his eyes. <laughs> Sorry, I had to end on a little bit of a chuckle with the, with the puppets. I've seen, uh, I think I've seen other people do that for fun. They come in with a green suit. Purposely? Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's just their head. <laughs> and floating around. I like that. 